0: We've been in this series, uh, and, and we've been really just trying to emphasize one thing, okay? And and that emphasis is that we still believe in the same God. I'll try it over here, I guess. It, I, I got this past week, this past week, people tagged me in things that I say. And so I'm going to try to use all of them this morning. We still believe in the same God. If you still believe in the same God, go ahead and say, let it be, amen. Yes, I do. That's me. That it needs to be you, whatever. Say something. So we still, be- okay, so here, and you don't have to cheap amen me on this one, but if we still believe the same God, if we still believe in the same God, then we should be doing some of the same things. Like it's not enough to just read this book and go, oh, that's good. That's good. It's not good. It's eternal. It's transformational. Oh, that's good. No, no, no. It's applicable. It's, it's relevant to right now. This is not just stories that we read. These are examples that we should be living out. So I want to preach a message today. I told you I read this passage in the Acts study. And when I got to this passage, I said out loud there, I, I'm going to preach this sermon. I, I got to preach this. Well then, I didn't do it soon enough. And Pastor Scott Holmes stood up in front of 500 pastors at the Louisiana Assembly of God LEAD Conference and preached my message. So it was confirmation for me that it was time and I've been looking for the opportunity. I want to preach a message today called Right Side Up. Right Side Up. See, here's the point of this. What the world calls upside down God calls right side up. Let me give you an example, and I'll show it around. I'm going back to first grade here, and, and just forgive me, I'm right-handed. i got to make my way around here. What in the world? That is upside down up right there. That's the first time i would seen that. All right, so if I take a triangle, I drew a triangle. I'm in the way over here. Y'all see the... okay. <laughs> We're going to, the, uh, the, we've planned for a larger stage in the next one. Y'all zoom in, zoom in. All right. I got a triangle here and I have a triangle here. Okay. So, and this is just a little quick illustration that somebody showed me uh, um, in, in one of the classes I paid $1,000 for in leadership. So you're welcome right here. $1,000. This cost me $1,000. It's free for you today, minus the tithes and offerings. Anyway, so... So this is, we're going to call this the world. This is the way the world looks at this, okay? The world says you start from the bottom and you work your way up, right? We call that secular salvation. You got to watch out for that because it sounds good. You start at the bottom of the barrel. I had nothing. I was raised on the streets and now I'm a multimillionaire. Well, praise God, give it to the church. All right, um, and as you work your way up in this in this, what the world perceives to be the right way, as you grow in responsibility, you also expand here in rights. This is what the world thinks. Secular society, this is not a, this is not a sinful mentality, it's just the way that it is, right? The higher up you go, the, the more rights you receive. So, like, if you're a senator, you can just delete emails, <laughs> so, it's too soon, too soon. If you're the president, you evade taxes. It doesn't matter. See, I don't leave people out. you like, I'm not picking sides here. It's the higher up you go. If you're on the Supreme Court, I mean, you get away with a lot of stuff, right? The, because the higher that you rise, the CEO has more rights. It's just the way that the world works than the new employee, Okay. This is the way the world works. When you step up the ladder, you receive more rights. The kingdom is on the other side. Just imagine that I wrote a K right there and not an R, and I'm going to do this three more times today. In the kingdom, as you rise up on the kingdom ladder, you actually begin to lay your rights down. So, the higher that you go in the kingdom, see, if you're just a part of the community, then I don't hold you accountable to anything. And if you come in out of the community and all of a sudden you become part of the crowd that attends once or twice every three months, but this is still your church home and we're glad to have you, I don't hold you accountable to anything. Unless you say out in public, like, this is my church. Like, you wear one of our hats somewhere that I don't think that hat needs to be. I might send you a message. Like, hey, could you wear another hat? <laughs> you pass me flipping somebody off with a New Hope sticker on the back of your truck. i be like, hey, Facebook friend. I don't know where you got that sticker. <laughs> But could you take it off and put somebody else's sticker on your truck? You know, like, I might just a little bit of accountability. Then all of a sudden, if you become a member or a part of this congregation, I'm I might reach out a little bit more. Maybe, maybe your small group leader or, 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 or your freedom group leader or one of our staff pastors holds you to a little bit and then all of a sudden you become a small group leader or, or a prayer team leader and we're saying at this point because you're up in front of people or you're a student leader that prays with students on Wednesday nights and now we're saying, look, I don't care if you think drinking's a sin or not, you're not doing it. Not because I think you're going to hell if you have a sip but because I know people that are because they can't just have a sip. And your moderation is their justification. I need to write that down for the next service. So it's not that I'm mad at you or that I think this is evil or, or this is not evil or that I think it's okay that other people sin differently than you. It's that you took a step up in the kingdom. And so now you have to lay rights down and the further that you go with Jesus, the more rights he will ask you to lay down. The more responsibility that you receive in the body of Christ. Like, I can't do nothing. Nowhere. I can't even get frustrated that I'm thirsty at a restaurant. I thought he was a pastor. I am a pastor. I'm a thirsty pastor. Let's <laughs> Listen. Even the world recognizes this principle. They know that Jesus said, if you want to find your life according to the kingdom, then you got to lose it. They know, the world knows that Jesus said, if you claim you're a Christian, then it should be less of you and more of him. They know that Jesus Christ laid down his title as the Son of God, picked up a towel, and washed the feet of his dirty disciples. And then the disciples started asking him, who's the greatest among these? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but I've been credentialed. I've been a part of this church. I don't know if you know how much I gave last year. I don't care. Because the Bible says that the greatest of all will be the servant of all. And what is upside down to the world is right side up to the king. Number one, and I'm doing this a little bit right now. You saw in verse 3 that they spent time explaining. I believe that we need to explain the word of God. We need to explain why we live the way that we live. We can't just assume that people are going to do what we expect of them if we don't take the time to explain why we believe they should do it. I talk to our team all the time about having meetings with others like I have meetings with them, about having conversations ahead of the curve, confessing forward, get ahead of the devil, Make sure that everybody understands clearly what we expect of them because you cannot hold people to expectations that you have not communicated. I think every married person in the room right there should stop staring at me and start writing some stuff down because I just helped y'all whether you know it or not. If you have not explained and communicated then you cannot hold people to an expectation of something that you have not let them know you hold. We need to explain this word, "dienoigo." It means to open up completely. To open completely. This is the same word that you would find in Luke chapter 2 in regards to the womb of a woman opening up for the son that is given birth to. This is an explanation of the word for Mary's womb opening up to give birth to the son of God. It means that we need to explain in order to enlighten. We need to explain in order to impart. I believe it is up to us to remove the veil Paul said it this way, you were foolish. And He's not being ugly. He says, you you were ignorant. Now, it seems ugly because of the context of that word to us or connotation of that word to us, but all he really means is you were uninformed, but now you know, and that's why James says, hey, if you know what to do, oh, help the... Bible Belt of South Louisiana when you know what to do and you still don't do it will not you just go read what happened to Saul whenever he decided to take it into his own hands Paul says you were this way but now you're enlightened now you know like Like God imparted himself into the womb of the Virgin Mary, planted, sowed. It is up to us to help open the eyes, plant, sow, and water so that God can bring the harvest to explain. You never know who you may be talking to that would understand something for the very first time. Luke chapter 24, verse 31. I'm sorry, verse 30. The Bible says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave them the bread. Man, that's quite the process. Just to make sure that they receive the bread. The true bread. Watch what happens when he gives them, blesses, breaks, and hands them the bread. Verse 31 says, And their eyes were dianoigo. Their eyes were opened up completely. The same thing that Paul was doing in the synagogue, on the Sabbath, everywhere, as was his custom. It was his custom to explain why. It was his custom to help people understand. Well, look, that's tough for me. I get it. Because sometimes I just, need you to, I just need you to do what I ask for the love of all things in heaven. Just, just do what I say. Hey, side note, parents, grandparents, we actually have uh, a standard in our home Our children can ask us why after they do what we ask them to do. They are always welcome to ask us why. Daddy, why? Daddy, why? (laughs) Because I always want them to come to me and I want to be the safe place that answers their questions correctly. Hear me, because somebody's going to give them an answer someone will explain what they are asking and if you don't make time and somebody else does then you don't get to blame the devil oh it got quiet this morning right there their eyes were opened in verse 31 and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight i mean jesus is just playing now he's just having fun He vanished from their sight. verse 32. So they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he explained, talked, communicated to us on the road? And while he opened, there's our word again, to us, the scriptures. Listen, I I might want to just take this and make it a mantra. Please don't ever be too busy. In fact, you are never too busy to stop and explain why. Why we follow Jesus. Why we honor God with our bodies. Why we show up early to pray. Why we work all week to serve on Sunday. Why we give the way that we give. My seven-year-old is tithing this morning because he just had a birthday and he got more money than me right now. (laughs) Guys, I'm not making him tithe because I need him to help me pay the bills. I am teaching him a biblical principle that will redeem the way that he views finances for the rest of his life. And so this morning, he's going to give one of the largest offerings in children's church because he got too many grandparents. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good for him. But I want to explain why. Why? Cause I don't want him to just do it, never really comprehend it. I asked my dad one time, and he and his brother have both, they both passed away early. My grandmother passed away in, I think, 2012. My grandfather's still alive. he's 83, still drives his truck around all over the place and, and pulls his bicycle out of the back and rides it. He's, he's awesome. I love my granddaddy. Um, but I asked my dad one time, I said, "Man, what happened? Where, where was the disconnect? Because my Nana and granddaddy, like, they were the preeminence of the kingdom of God. Like, if you heard the trumpet and you were standing by my Nana and granddaddy, grab their feet. Hold on. Because they're going. Like, you're not getting, if you're with Nana and granddaddy, you, probably, you might just be covered right there. I, that's not a scripture, okay? I'm just trying to explain who they were. Love Jesus, love the church loved their family, worked hard every day. Daddy, what was the disconnect? You and Uncle David decided to stray. What happened? And my dad, and I will remember this for as long as I'm alive, my dad said, especially in regards to parenting, my dad said, you know, I think they just assumed that we would do it too. And I just didn't really understand. I'm telling you, You are never too busy to explain why. Number two, I believe that we need to prove the word of God. We need to prove. The Bible says in verse three, explaining and proving, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and be raised from the dead. I I believe that it's time that we stop preaching and start proving Okay, let's ask the question then since you didn't get that excited because I'm talking a lot. Are we proving what we're preaching? I don't mean from the pulpit like just me. I have to answer that question. I have people to hold me accountable to it. I'm talking about you. Are you proving in your home what you're preaching or what you say you believe every other day? Because it's one thing that we preach to explain. But it is another thing that we explain to prove. And I think we need to move. I think we need to shift as God's people from preaching to explain and going into a place where we begin to explain so that we can prove We can prove what God has done. We can prove what God wants to do. We can prove that this word is still alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. We can prove that we still serve the same God. It's through our leadership and through our example that I can prove to you that Jesus Christ is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pastor Scott Holmes says preaching is telling someone what you believe, preaching is telling someone what you believe proving is showing them why you believe it i want my children and my grandchildren and should the lord tarry because he's waiting for us to do our job and lead more people to him come on somebody i I, my great-grandchildren To look at my life and view it as proof that God is who he said he is. Jesus can do what he said he could do. And ultimately, this word is the only thing that will never pass away or let them down. We shared statistics last week. Guys, we have an exodus of people leaving the church. Thank God not significantly this church. But we have an exodus across this land of people rebelling against God and rebelling against the church. Now, in the same breath, we have a lot of people receiving salvation. We have a lot of people coming. We have a lot of people plugging in. We have a lot of people being led to Jesus. Those are on the other end of the spectrum. But I cannot, I cannot look at what is happening well and be satisfied or content with what is not happening. And we have an exodus of people leaving the house of God, departing the faith and bragging about it across the land. And I believe one of the reasons is we have become satisfied with listening to preachers. Like that's what we call Christianity is that I showed up on Sunday and I listened to my preacher. We have become satisfied with calling a daily devotional, listening to Stephen Furtick's 20-second tirade on Instagram. We have become satisfied with calling TikTok our latest theology. We have become satisfied with listening to what other people preach in a 45-second real sharing it on our page and calling that evangelism God help me today preach us back into a place where this would become the life and the breath of our existence that we would stop looking to everything else that the world is looking to to find our fulfillment and security and we would begin to operate in the principles of God so that we can lead people to him it is time that we stop being satisfied with listening to sermons and we start walking in the anointing and the expectation that God doesn't just want to use my preacher. And God doesn't just want to use my leaders. But God wants to use me to prove who he wants to be to the people that he has put in my path. An emotional roller coaster of excess emotionalism is not going to be enough to draw this generation back to the presence of the Father. We need authentic People who have experienced an authentic move because people are confused by the counterfeit, but they are attracted to authenticity. And I believe that God is sending people here because we have an authenticity about our pursuit of God's presence that is attracting people to actually connect with Jesus and not just the things that we say. It's a church full of people who become willing and ready and enable themselves through prayer and study and or just simple obedience. Well, I don't know how to preach the gospel. Do you know how to share your story? I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. When's the last time you tried? It's amazing that we will try everything except for biblical things. And we just expect the Holy Spirit to take it over and do everything for us in regards to Scripture. But we know that everything else is up to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, I have decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus and him crucified. Verse 4, My speech and my message were not, not with plausible words of wisdom. That's funny because it's even hard to say. But my speech and my message were with demonstrations of the Spirit and of power. Not with wise words, because we have become so impressed with charisma that we will let character fail in order to let charisma flow. Not with wise words, but with demonstrations of the Spirit and the Spirit's power. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't just tell you to listen to my words. Somebody, you gotta get this. Don't just listen to my words. Look at my life. If you wanna know what to do, then just do what I do as he tells me to. That's what Paul is saying. That's not me. I ain't there. I'm I'm striving. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, let me come down off the mountain for a second and communicate one-on-one. See, the power of God is not just signs and wonders. The power of God is not just faith healers. Can I get some help real quick? The power of God is not just being slain in the spirit, waking up three hours later, speaking in tongues. The power of God is not emotionalism alone, although when I experience God's power, it makes me semi-emotional. I'm not talking about miracles and healings alone, although we will anoint with oil and pray God for the supernatural to take place in our services. But even more than that, I'm really just talking about people being kind. It's amazing to me how Pentecostal we can be in one moment. It's amazing how excited we can become in a worship center. But before we get out the parking lot, how messed up we can be in private. we can lie to everybody, including ourselves, because we're not willing to share our secrets. See, I'm just talking about having character and integrity, because I've seen Pentecost. I've seen emotionalism, and then I've seen authenticity. And I'm telling you, if we claim that we have the answer that the world is looking for, and when they look at us who say we have the answer and it does not spread out and affect every other area of our lives, then they will go, that's counterfeit, I'm confused by that, I'm gonna go over here to this because at least these people believe what they say and show it with the way they behave. We've gotta prove. Number three, I think I might have just done this. (laughs) Disturb. Hear me. I believe that God called me here these six years ago in August because we're supposed to disturb the former direction of this area. I don't mean this city. I don't mean the officials of this city. I don't mean the schools, and I don't mean the people in leadership. I believe that we're supposed to shake up the ground of what people thought was a sturdy foundation, but they figured out in 2020 was sinking sand. I believe that God has called this church to to begin to stir in the lives of people in this area and disturb their satisfaction with their current direction. The Bible says that when Paul and Silas went in and they began explaining and proving that it was necessary that Jesus Christ could suffer and he would be raised from the dead saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is not subject to cancer, is not subject to COVID, is not subject to the Economy is not Republican. It's not Democrat. I can't get no help this morning. He's not red. He's not blue He's not black. He's not white. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is willing to lay down his life So that many more could be lifted up and I'm proclaiming that he is the Christ the son of the living God and he alone it's not worth just working all week so that we can get to the weekend and play like everybody else, although I don't mind having fun. This Christ, verse eight, and the people, and the city authorities. See, you you don't have to be a jerk to stir things up. The gospel is offensive. In general, it offends everything about us. Every ounce of our humanity is offended by the gospel. You don't have to be offensive. You have to be kind. You have to be caring. If I have to be approachable, so do you. Because I promise I like it less than most of you do. My oldest, she is her daddy's daughter and when we're focused on something, we don't like to be interrupted, but if I want to be like Jesus, I've got to be interruptible. I've got to be approachable and when I'm not, oh, you got to swallow your pride. When I'm not, I have to apologize and repent. He says the city authorities and the people were disturbed when they heard these things. And yet they said them. I'm not trying to be ugly, but you don't get to decide whether a baby lives or dies. I'm not trying to be ugly. But you don't determine when God brings somebody home and when he doesn't. I'm not trying to be ugly today. But you don't get to decide what your DNA says about you. I'm not, I'm not being ugly. But you're not led astray by who you're attracted to. And then just get to affiliate with whomever and however you decide to. That's just not, that's just not how this works. It's disturbing. And I feel like we have become more comfortable with not causing any problems. Or we get on our self-righteous pedestals and we just start stirring up stuff everywhere. What'd you hear in your head? Because I... I'm not talking about creating an us-versus-them mentality. This is important, because they are not the enemy. I just thought of about four names that I wanted to say out loud. Guys, what, whoever's name you just thought of, right now you need to tell yourself, they are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy has sown political division. The enemy has sown racial division. The enemy has sown disease division. The enemy has sown mask division. The enemy has sown economic division. Stop succumbing to the devil's division. I proclaim to you Christ and him crucified. That the power of God would be evident in my relationships with people who are not like me. Oh, I can't get enough help to move on right now. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed. Guys, people are not your enemy. And they're not a means to an end you need to write this down it's not in your notes people are my purpose I look around it gets me every time I look around and and I see the stories this is how God's made me a pastor I'm telling you, my bride is naturally gifted as a pastor. I'm more like storm the castle, apostolic evangelist. Like, let's take out every devil. And, and if you don't get it, then you just get left behind. That's it. My wife's like, whoa. But then, but then I meet people. And they share their story. And then I look at their lives. And I, and I know, I look and I go, The only way that that is happening is because God made it happen. People are not a means to an end. People are not the resource to help us build buildings. People are not the answer to to fill all our teams on Sundays. Those are just byproducts. People are our purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus, people are your purpose. They're not in the way, they're in your path. Come on, somebody. God put them there that day because he wanted you to be the answer to their questions. He wanted you to be the solution to their problems. He wanted you to be the revelation of their prayer. In 1890, a man by the name of Charles Parham heard the voice of the Lord to begin a Bible college. 30 years after the Civil War, the nation is... Still in turmoil, Charles Parham starts a Bible college. The Bible college becomes known as Stone Folly. It's actually the place that he rented. It was this immaculate home that is referred to as Stone's Folly because the individual who began building it did not have the finances to finish it. So the world made fun of him and called it Stone's Folly. Charles Parham went on a trip. And he told his Bible college students to study the book of Acts and the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when he got back, they would discuss it. He comes back after quite a period of time, and he finds all of his Bible college students, students in Stone's Folly praying, reading, studying, praying, reading, studying, and he asked, "Hey, what's going on?" And his students said, "Well, we read in Acts chapter one and two that 120 people were in the upper room, and they all had one mind and they all were in one accord. Not a Honda. That's, I've heard that dad pastor joke every time. I was like, I finally said it. They, they all finally said it. there. They were." And Charles is like, okay, well, what are we doing? And then this little lady, this little elderly lady, Agnes Osmond, oh, I praise God for the senior saints. See, she probably thought like, like a month ago that her time was almost over. And here we are, hundreds of years later, telling her story. This little old lady, she comes up to Charles Parham. She says, I want you to lay hands on me. I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit the problem was Charles Parham didn't know what he believed about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he told them to study but he hadn't been studying he went on a trip he came back and she's like I want you to lay hands on me and he's like okay he lays hands on her and the story is that nothing happened for him but this little lady's eyes glazed over and she just began to smile and within a few seconds she began to speak in what sounded like Mandarin Chinese. And she went over and started writing Mandarin Chinese on a piece of paper, and you can find that piece of paper in a museum of Topeka, Kansas, to this day. A lady that worked with Charles Parham, served, cleaned up after everybody in Stone's Folly, likely, had a friend named William Seymour. One-eyed black man. Isn't it funny? That God would take a one-eyed black man, just about 20 years removed from the Civil War, and say, this is how I'm going to start a movement. You're going to get over yourself, because I've got a new thing that I want to do. And William Seymour receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He travels out to California. He preaches in a Nazarene church. He preached that morning on what God laid on his heart, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were supposed to preach again that Sunday night. He came to the doors of the church. The doors were locked, and there were chains on the front door. He had traveled all the way out there. He didn't know what he was going to do. He found a home. He began to preach in the home. Before too long, people were lying in the streets to get into the house because of the way that God was revealing himself and the way that people were receiving what God was revealing. So he moved, and he found an open building called a mission referred to as the Azusa Street Mission. Thousands of people began to come to the Azusa Street Mission. And a move of God started in 1904, referred to as the charismatic movement that has produced churches, denominations, and fellowships across the globe today. But in 1914, a little over 100 individuals met in Hot Springs, Arkansas, at the First General Council of the Assemblies of God. And there they gathered for seven days. And they decided, this was their mission statement, you ready? We want to be the greatest move of evangelism that the world has ever seen. We want to share the gospel at a rate that it has never been shared before. And this past lead conference, Pastor Scott Holmes put this graphic up on the screen. Today, there are over 50 million worldwide constituents for the Assemblies of God. 824 missionary associates, 1,861 career missionaries. $200 million was given to world missions in 2020. In 2020. Every hour and a half, a new Assembly of God church is planted across the globe. In 1995, Eunice Fellowship, which began with the salvation of some hippies out of the Jesus movement, merged with First Assembly of God, the little white church across the field from Eunice High School, and formed New Hope Fellowship. That would grow over time. And then just a few weeks ago, what is now predominantly referred to as New Hope Church in Eunice, had some children gather out in the parking lot of the building that would be. And we have another group, just like Charles Parham had, Just like William Seymour had, and just like the 1914 Assemblies of God had. We have people gathering in small groups and freedom groups. We'll have people gathering on their own throughout the summer because they didn't want their small group to end. We have people gathering on Sundays. And I believe that God sent Megan and I in 2016 to come down Highway 13. And as we got about halfway down Highway 13, my wife said out loud, Lord, is this where you're sending us? And I said back to her, what did he say? And a 32-year-old took a church of 120 Cajuns who had been faithful to the call of God and prayed for a revival to break out across this community. And God is moving and answering the prayers of those people day by day and all I do is stand back in awe of what God can do with just one more man, with just one more woman who are willing to be obedient to the call. This is not a celebration of Chris and Megan. This is a celebration that if God could do it with Paul and Silas and if God could do it with Jason and if he could turn the Roman Empire upside down with some committed Christians, and he could take Charles Parham and tell him to open a Bible school, and it would break out into a charismatic movement that today millions of people around the world are gathering in the name of Jesus, continuing and expecting a move of God that the world is yet to see. If he could take William Seymour, a one-eyed black man, and spread revival across Los Angeles that would catch fire and go across the United States and it would lead to a group of babies out in the field. I still believe that God can use those babies to turn this community right side up. And if God can use all of that, then he can use you. Don't you ever, to tell somebody next to you, don't you ever underestimate what God can do with just one more person's unmitigated obedience to the kingdom of God. You are never too busy to explain. You should never be too satisfied to prove with demonstrations of the spirit and power. And you can rest assured that when God starts using you that way, demonic powers and principalities of darkness all around you are going to get stirred up and they will be disturbed but don't you forget that greater is he that is in you than anything that the devil could bring up against you we're called to turn the world right side up I got to end with this this is so important See, if you knew what God was going to do with your obedience, then you would never say no. You wouldn't even question it. If God would have shown me what he was going to do, if I could see 10 years into the future, If you knew what God wanted to use your obedience to accomplish, then you would never even ask. You'd just answer. Here I am, Lord, send me, send me, send me. I'll go. I want to do it. This summer, we're going to go into what we're calling the summer on the mount. We're going to go through the Beatitudes. Jesus' sermon on the Mount the one that he wanted everybody to know, the one that he preached predominantly for the world to hear. Why? Because I believe with all of my heart, if we're gonna turn the world right side up, we must become like Jesus. This is not a religion. This is about connecting to our Savior and becoming like the Son.